Facts. We are back. Nick, Keith, hello again. Hello, Cam. Good to be back. It is good to be back. The reason we haven't uh, recorded in almost three months is pretty simple, really. After our last episode, uh, when I delivered my Leafs need to sign guys who the refs want to watch fuck their wives take. Uh, Rich Benefactor offered me a three-month contract to just stand in a corner of his parlor and just spit takes at him all day long. So now that that's wrapped up, I figure we should uh, get back to it here. Um, yeah, it's been a little while, guys. Uh, Has anything happened? <laughs> no, nothing. Before we get into the Leaf stuff, let's let's just do this grade school style, right? The kids just went back to school, right? So, uh, yeah, thank fuck for that too. <laughs> what what happened over summer vacation, Nick? Let's start with you. Well, I uh, spent most of my summer playing baseball. Uh, our club managed to to win the league title for the the second straight year, so that was a lot of fun. Um, also just got engaged this past weekend hey. that was a, a long Congrats. long time coming thank you thank you uh yeah definitely long time coming but i figured you know really trying to indoctrinate her into the the lifestyle of being a leafs fan i had to make her wait for it right yeah if you think you've been waiting a long time for a podcast <laughs> talk yeah. about waiting for a ring <laughs> keith what about you um just a a busy summer for me with Work and music uh, played quite a quite a few shows this summer, more than I had in years past. So that was nice. Uh, All over got, North America too. Yeah, don't you don't fucking do that. Played a lot of shows. Tell us <laughs> uh, where I played a few big festivals. I played uh, Festival de Tay in Quebec City, Ottawa Blues Fest, and then the biggest one at the end was Lollapalooza in Chicago. So that was <laughs> no big that deal. Was, uh, <laughs> it was a good. It, it was a good summer. I mean, we got. I, I always. I, I get like weird about it because like it's not my band like I'm hired to play it so I'm like I like uh like every time I tell somebody that I played Lollapalooza they ex- like I don't know I don't really have much more to say than I have cool friends and I you know <laughs> play play bass well enough that they're comfortable having me on the stage <laughs> but like uh yeah it's been um the word got around my my office oh love a little that. Bit more than I wanted it to and and the other like like the the I work with a lot of people like we have several com- uh, offices in the states so there's probably like three quarters of the companies in the states and yeah they they love they love to call me a rock star which like physically. <laughs> makes my like I my body recoil when they say it and <laughs> then that got out that it makes me uncomfortable and now it happens a lot more. So um yeah well, thank no, you for sharing that with us, you big yeah. rock <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter with you guys. It's more people I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a good summer. Lot lots and lots of uh music and uh good times. What about you other than that co- that uh, hot take contract camp? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, j- just to correct you, Keith, uh, the the big one at the end of the summer, I believe, was actually a giant stock. Ah, yes, in, uh, that's correct. Picto County. <laughs> yes, in Marigamish, Nova Scotia. Which, <laughs> like, no, not even joking. That that like Lollapalooza, we played at noon on on Friday, like in front of you know a fraction of of what would be at the festival later in the day, but. Uh, yeah, Giant Stock in Marigamish, Nova Scotia was at, you know, right as the sun was setting over the ocean, you know, lots of people there. It was, that was, it was, it was a really good time. And then I ended up at a bonfire playing acoustic guitar with people I didn't know until the wee hours of the morning. So it it was a good time. Did those people that you don't know, know that you're a rock star? No, I did not tell anybody. They didn't even know who I was. I just, my, my band went to bed at like 
11 p.m. or something stupid, like midnight maybe, and I just kind of wandered to this bonfire by myself as this mysterious character and played. Ended up asked for the guitar and played for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's our, our pal Andre Petipoff, an inaugural uh, music festival, which went off without a hitch, as I understand yeah, it, great. a few weeks back. I, I was I was away that weekend. Uh, been a long summer of just jumping from one weather disaster to another oh, and man. just trying to stay intact, man. It, it's been insane. Uh, we, we were away that weekend. That was a Labor Day weekend, uh, so it didn't get to, to giant stock, but we were um, you know, out at a beautiful spot in, in the valley, and it it's just seems like it's been... you know, We, we have a dog, and she f- hates the thunder. Hates. And, and it just seemed like we were getting blasted with it at least once or twice a week all summer long. We finally got away to the valley, and then it's fireworks from the neighboring campers. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, it was that kind of summer. But uh, uh, it's it's wrapped up now. The fellas are back on the ice or close to it, I guess. Training camps just opened up. We got a little bit of news to, to touch on uh, right away. And obviously a whole off season's worth of uh, happening. So let's let's start with the newest stuff, which I guess the big news today being... Uh, Wednesday was the word that uh, William Nylander is going to start in the middle of the ice. He's going to be a center, at least to start the season. And and it sounds like the plan is to start with, uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot of the years is when will the shift for John Tavares happen to the wing? It doesn't sound like it's happening just yet. It'll be Matthews, Tavares and Nylander in some order down the middle, uh, at least to start camp. I shouldn't say say to start the season, I suppose to start camp. That's, that's where we're going, Nick. Yeah. And you know, you kind of got to wonder if, that's a bit of a precursor to the eventual move of Tavares over to the wing. But for now, I think with the makeup of this forward group, at least having a look at it and trying it out and seeing how you can kind of spread out your offensive options, because you know, they have a a few more, you know, dynamic offensive threats in in the forward group. Now with the additions of guys like Tyler Bertuzzi and, and Max Domi, I I think it allows them to, to kind of, look at some different things and try to spread out that, that offensive depth that they have. So for now, with the way that the, the lineup's constructed, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it works out and, and see if they can kind of formulate some kind of sheltered offensive scoring third line that, that's kind of centered by William Nylander. And you, you might have one of those new additions like a Bertuzzi or Max Domi or even, you know, the up and coming Matthew Nyes on one of his wings there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out uh, in camp and once the preseason games get rolling. Yeah, Keith, the, the feeling that I got from from this news was like, I mean, I think we were all penciling Matthew Nyes into a, a pretty big role on the wing, probably, you know, in the top six right from the get go. Uh, kind of feels like this almost cements that, doesn't it? Yeah. And for me, just like, uh, you know, the biggest thing that I, I took from it that made me like this idea a little bit more, I guess, or at least be a little bit more open to it was the kind of feeling that they or the they were they were making it seem pretty much up front that they were gonna give it a long look. And yeah. I if I have any gripe with Keith's like lineup construction is when he does make a change, he very quickly reverts back to what he knows and is comfortable with. He doesn't necessarily give something a long look. Like we've seen it with breaking up Matthews and Marner 
you know, if, if they don't have, if they have one bad game apart, they're right back together, even if they have three or four, you know, not so great games together. So it's, it's, he's been quick to, to kind of revert back to what's comfortable. And I, I get a lot of head coaches are like that, but they kind of made a point to say like, this is going to get a look and, and, you know, whether that's a couple of games, you know, of the regular season or not, but basically just not a quick trigger finger on it. But then, yeah, I mean, it, it, they have a lot more options, a lot more kind of, um, you know, if you add nice to somebody, I know he was at the, on the lineup at the end of the year, but with bunting and Kerfoot out and essentially, you know, nice in and, and, and Domi and Bertuzzi, like there's the ability to spread this out a little bit more. And I think we've seen with, you know, the years past of Leafs and, and kind of the, the Dubis and maybe, you know, with some guidance from Keefe's uh, model kind of third line and, even fourth line is to just have you know all defense shut down not a lot of offense so i think we've seen that we could use a little bit more scoring in the in the playoffs and I, this might give it a give that a look and it's been a while since i feel like we've had a third line that could outscore an opposing third line well that's the thing is i, I noticed that, you know a lot of the there was a bit of backlash on Twitter f- from some people. Uh, what, what, no, no shit. <laughs> well, I guess you could say that for just about anything. But when the, the news today came out that they were going to be trying Nylander at center, I, I saw some some people commenting about how you know, you're kind of wasting Nylander's talent by having him down there on the third line. The two things for me is we've all seen Sheldon Keefe coach this team long enough now to know that he's going to be mixing and matching throughout the game. Nylander's going to get his looks with, with, you know, all the other high powered forwards at various points in games. And and the other thing is that as much as some people might be uncomfortable with the idea of quote unquote, dropping Nylander down the lineup, how comfortable were people with the idea of David camp being the the full-time third line center? Because that was something that, you know, throughout the course of the off season, that was something that always kind of was a, was a bee in my bonnet, so to speak, was I don't really see David Camp as someone who can consistently drive a third line that this team is going to need some offense from. That kind of goes with what I was just talking about. Like in, in years past, that's what you had as an option. And, and you you know, like they didn't have that kind of scoring threat third line that, you know, seems to be the case that they're they're building this year. And you can't just like expect to have two lines that are going to go out there and nothing is going to happen while they're on the ice, right? Like if you have one line that can do that for 10 minutes a night, you're, you're feeling pretty good. You can't expect to have like a a third line that's going to, you know, go out and still face some, some tough competition and be able to do that every night. You need some talent. You need some uh, ability to put the puck in the net. And and yeah, I mean, that was, that was certainly something that, uh, you know, has been an issue over the years. So I'm interested to see how it goes uh, and how long it goes. Um, You know, Keith made a comment along the lines of you know Willie is more comfortable or said he's more comfortable to start at center and then you know if he gets moved to the wing obviously that's a much easier move um, rather than you know you come into camp you you play on the wing all through camp and then things don't go well the first month you get shifted to center Uh, it sounds like he'd rather have you know that that um, you know time to kind of adapt and and it's it's a much easier I would think as much as it's you know adapting to the responsibilities it's also adapting to the mindset right it's a mindset you have to have and and establishing that I think at the start of camp is is I think that's a, a great point, Cam. You know, it's it's always a lot easier to transition to the wing from playing in the middle 
than the other way around. And you, you, you nailed it. Like you're going into the season and all of a sudden the team hits an offensive slump or something and they pivot to, to taking Nylander off of the wing and trying to set up some kind of, you know, offensive third line where he's in the middle. It, then it feels like there's a bit more pressure on it for that move to work. So I think, you know, kind of establishing that on the first day of camp before anyone even hits the ice, it kind of maybe takes the pressure off of that a little bit and it allows Nylander the room to kind of grow into the role as the preseason goes along. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so lots of stuff to kind of touch on from the off season. You know, we, we, we can't, uh, we can't hit it all. Unfortunately, that's what happens when you kind of fall off the face of the earth for three months. <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously we've already touched on a couple of the signings, um, free agent signings, biggest thing to happen as far as the organization goes uh, and, and the future of the organization very clearly Austin Matthews uh, signing on for uh, you know another four years um, y- you also have extensions for Sheldon Keefe Ilya Samsonov who are you know key parts of the the team over the last couple of years but uh, this is the big one and um, I, I guess it's it's not too late to kind of still react to the news here, guys, because um, I, I mean this is this is the franchise, right? Like this is as long as you have this guy, you're a contender, and and it's uh, you know four more years after this one of of the least having this guy, which is um, everything else aside, a huge win. Yeah, I mean, like I'd be lying if I, you know, I, I, you know what? I don't want to start this on a, on a negative note. Like we, we, we've got this guy, I think it's 12 years that he's a leaf at the end of this. We've got the best years of his career. Um, you know, say what you want about the con- the last contract and even this contract. I still think he at least plays up to the value, if not outplays what his last contract was. Um obviously extremely excited to not have to think about this anymore and have it go into the season and have that kind of looming over the team at all times. Um, you know, is there a part of me that was a little bit upset with the term? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can rationalize it and I can argue myself into, you know, not be, not having a big problem with it where, yeah, do you, you know, do you really want a guy locked up into his mid thirties at that high of a cap hit? But, you know, when, and when it comes up, he'll be 30 and you can still extend him for seven or eight years and probably be okay with it. But it is a little, you know, you look around, and Nick, you, I think you're the one who said this, but like you look around the league and everybody's locking their, their franchise players up for eight years. And it's, it sucks that our, ours have to be the most financially astute, uh, you know, <laughs> on the cutting edge of contract negotiation players. And I don't really know, like, I don't necessarily buy the the argument that it was like Dubas's fault for giving in on the first contract. I just think that's the type of guy that he is. And he, he he's a big kind of NBA guy and a big, you know, he grew up American and watching these other sports. And it's just, it's a, it's a different culture. It's a different like outlook on the game. And I think, that's the the one he subscribes to. Yeah, and Matthews is a guy who's kind of marched to the beat of his own drum and yeah. carved his own path, done things a little differently right from the get-go, right? Like right from going over to Europe in his draft year and playing pro rather than staying with the the US National Development Program, right? That we haven't seen really anybody else do that. So it, your point is well made that, you know, he's just a, a different character. And I, I said all along, I don't think that they're was a world where the Leafs were going to sign Austin Matthews and it's a bad contract. Anything that yeah. kept Austin Matthews in Toronto is a win for Toronto. But 
on the flip side of that, to, to your point of him living up to the, the value of the contract, I have no doubt about that. The, the one thing that kind of is still eating away at me a little bit about it is that the other superstars around the league are going to live up to their value as well and exceed it. And they're going to provide that surplus value for their clubs while also providing a bit more financial flexibility for their clubs. So, yeah, the, the, the term and the fact that Matthews is going to be the highest paid player in the league signed for half the term that a guy like Nathan McKinnon did when he just, you know, for a brief time is going to be the, the highest paid player in the league. It's just it's a little frustrating that it always seems to be the Leafs guys who, like you said, are on the the cutting edge and you know really financially astute and thinking about all of those things and kind of put, having that player first mentality. I, I don't want to say it in the sense that you know they don't care about the team or anything like that, but these guys are, are definitely looking out for number one, and I. I I don't think you can argue with that with the way that these contract negotiations have played out multiple times now. And I, I don't blame them and I would lo- and I fully support it and I love it. I would just love it so much more if it was a different team. <laughs> like like <laughs> I just you know that's that's really all it comes down to. I'm I'm so pro what he's doing. I just wish that it wasn't on the Leafs. Well, I do wish it was on the Leafs. I just wish it was a different guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it makes a ton of sense like from the player's perspective. Yep. And you know, we did this years ago with the the initial round of you know rfa negotiations with with matthews mariner and nylander and you know it's it's frustrating to to look back on that and everyone's talking about how the landscape was about to change and that's why yeah you know the 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 leafs young stars did this there was going to be the changing of the guard and of course you know there was a lot of outs yeah it didn't didn't happen (laughs) to due to a lot of you know extenuating circumstances such as a global pandemic and whatnot but yeah it leads you to wonder if had that not happened would the landscape have actually changed and is it going to start changing this time around with star players taking shorter term i will say i think it was is it dalene there's somebody I just read the other day that was upset about the team standing firm on eight years. I should have looked into this, but I think it was, I don't know. It, it, it does seem to be a little bit of, of that happening now, but to not to the extent that it's hit Toronto for sure. Like you said, like it's, he's going to overperform the contract as far as dollar value. Like you could pay him $30 million a year and he would be worth it right but it's it's when you start comparison shopping that you know a little bit of that resentment maybe starts to, to seep in about the the term or the dollars or, or or what have you but like to me it was kind of like i think that the deal was like i was i guess i would say i was a little kind of lukewarm on the actual terms of the deal and that all got completely washed out by the fact that the deal was done right yeah like, yeah. If, yeah i think if, that's a really good way to say it <laughs> it, it was also like kind of on that edge a little bit where like if that were three years or if it were an extra you know couple of million a year like maybe the feeling started to change a little bit it was kind of right on that cusp of like okay like this is i i can live with this and be content with this uh, but i'm still gonna start getting anxious in another you know two or three years time <laughs> well, well that's the thing to your point about you know eventually kind of sowing some resentment or whatever he, matthew's had an opportunity to buy an awful lot of goodwill with the way that this contract played out and you know again don't blame him for taking care of himself first and you know setting himself up the best way possible for the future 
but you know, how is the temperature in Toronto or how are the feelings around Matthews and the rest of the team if he had signed eight years at the, a similar cap hit, right? Uh, so obviously going back to what Keith said, maybe that's not something that Matthews is too worried about and that's maybe something that makes him a good fit for playing in the fishbowl that is Toronto. But yeah, it, it, it it's got to leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, no matter how excited you are to still have them in the fold. Going back to something you mentioned, Keith, you know, I, I think that this deal kind of uh, absolves Dubas quite a bit in terms of like that narrative around. And I know that, that yeah. was, you know, those were those were RFA deals. These aren't. But uh, like Tree Living certainly did not win a, a game of hardball here by any means. Yeah. And I guess like that's the argument, though, is like, you know, you you uh, you gave in the first time, so the precedent was set and all that crap. But I, I, no, I completely agree with you. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that do you want me or do you not want me is really kind of what it would come down to with that conversation with him. He's got all the power, especially now that he's UFA. So, yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're, you're bang on. If, if anything, this, this kind of shows that, you know, this wasn't Dubas giving into these guys. It was just that's the type of negotiations they were going to run and that's always the yeah way it's, it's the be. way it was going to go it's yeah. just who was at the you know who who was on the other side of the, the contract yeah. that's all it was um so yeah i mean that that's that's obviously a huge um relief to to have that done before the puck drops as you mentioned like yeah that would have been just the uh, the oh it would have dominant- been a circus going into the season like we're still gonna oh. have to deal with that with nylander but can you imagine Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's that's just it. Like it's, you know, the the, the drum beat is like they're trying with Newlander. Uh, it would have gotten there in a, in a much more organic state if it were Matthew still unsigned. I, I think, um, you know, the Newlander yes. situation, like it's something that we'll we'll discuss here in the next few weeks, probably. But um, I mean, yeah, the feeling a lot better to have, you know, Matthew's done that. That's the one that you have to lock in and then everything else falls in place around that so yeah. um yeah once that got done that that was uh just felt like smooth sailing from there for the rest that was the big off-season uh, item right so once that was uh in the bag um uh, felt pretty good from that point so we're going to talk a bit about uh, some prospects talk about traverse city here in a minute but um just wanted to loop back on you know some of the uh, additions over the summer, uh, some of the things that happened, and, and specifically kind of from the point of view of building a lineup, um, we've already spent some time talking about, you know, Nylander starting training camp uh, at center. What 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 are you guys expecting? Uh, because to me, I, I feel like this is one of the strongest forward groups the Leafs have, have trotted out in a, in a camp in, in a while. And I mean, maybe that's, you know, just always feels good, I guess, going into a new year. But um, in terms of the depth and in terms of like the, the contributors outside of the big four, feels like they've got just a, a little more punch there than they've been going into seasons with of late. I think there's definitely more offensive firepower than we've seen at any point really during, you know, the whole core four era. Uh, You know, the flip side of that is maybe you lose a little bit on the other side of the puck. Um, Just looking at some of the underlying metrics, uh, guys like Bertuzzi and and Domi and obviously Ryan Reeves, they're far from defensive stalwarts. And you can say what you will about guys like Alex Kerfoot and, you know, everyone knows what Ryan O'Reilly brought to the team in his short time here. But, but those were, were guys who played a really responsible game on the defensive side of the puck. 
So you might be, there's a little bit of a trade off there, but I think that this team is well coached enough and, you know, they really understand the system that Sheldon Keefe wants to deploy that they'll be able to kind of limit what they're giving up defensively. And the other thing there is when you're talking about a guy like Bertuzzi or Domi, there's a good chance that they're one of them is going to be playing on a line with Austin Matthews and or Mitch Mariner, and the other one could be playing with whichever one of them isn't with Bertuzzi. So those are guys who are going to cover up a lot of uh, defensive warts of whoever's on the ice with them. So it, it's hard to just kind of like look at what guys have done with other teams in other systems and, and automatically assume that it's going to be the same way here. But one thing that should translate is that offensive skill that they've showcased throughout their careers. And if if a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi can stay healthy, man, I think he's going to have a massive year and he's going to be just such a perfect fit in this forward group. He, I know that a lot of people are talking about the grit and snot or whatever you want to call it that these guys are going to bring. And I, I don't think anyone should get too far ahead of themselves in that regard. Like Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi aren't going out there and blowing guys up consistently on the forecheck. They're not massive hitters. They don't have huge hit totals or anything like that. But they do have that kind of fuck you attitude, right? That this team has really been sorely lacking for a lot of years. So even if they're guys that aren't really going out there and and just laying the body shift after shift, they are guys who aren't going to take shit. So when when the temperature does get turned up in some of these games, they're not going to roll over. They're not going to wilt. They're not going to back down. They're going to be able to keep playing their game. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing how those guys mesh in this lineup because, uh, again, I think this is the most offensive firepower that the club has had in a number of years. Yeah, and I, you, that's a great point about you know ex- what what to expect with these guys. Like, I think you know I've I've seen Bertuzzi play a fair bit and watching you know a little bit of Detroit, but even more so this past year watching like the Boston games and stuff and. I think he's more skilled than people think that he is. And just from, based off of what Absolutely. I've been reading, like the guy is, is a, is a high end offensive player. He's 30 goals in 60 games or something like the 68 games. Um, a couple of years ago, it's been a while since he's been healthy, obviously. Um, he only played like, but last year was a couple 60. of like freak injuries. Yeah, right? like, exactly. It, it's, it's not, not stuff not... that's like lingering repeatable. Right. It's like he blocked a shot with his hand and his hand broke. And yeah. you know, like, it's not something like a lingering knee injury or whatever. So it, you got to kind of just chalk some of that up to bad luck and hope that it turns a little bit uh, now that he's in, in the fold with the Leafs. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's that's like I guess it, it's it's something to kind of remember because I think everybody at first, anyways, I, it may have just been you know Tree Living comes in and then all of a sudden it's these two guys that kind of have a bit of snarl to them and all, and then the Ryan Reeves signing and you're like, oh god, they're they're you know they're just signing all these like tough guy goons but they that's not the case right and you know max domi had a really good year last year um after a couple kind of up and down years another guy though that has high-end offensive skill and you know probably is, is definitely not great defensively but he's one that i'm really intrigued about i think bertuzzi is like you said if he's healthy i think he's and he's likely on a line with matthews and if not he's probably on a line with Tavares. yeah i think like i think he has a career year and then, unfortunately, probably walks, you know, for crazy money somewhere else because he gets, you know, 30 goals on the Leafs and a couple of fights, on, but, a couple of fights uh, in Hockey look, Night in Canada. And like, just <laughs> I'm going to stop you know. right there, though, Keith. Like, going back to Nylander for a second, 
having a guy like Bertuzzi in the fold now, it, it's almost something of an insurance policy, you know, like not exactly, obviously, but now it, you have two players who obviously Nylander has the, the tenure and the history with the club, but you have two wingers who are, or I guess Nylander's going to be a center now, but you have two forwards who are pretty much in the same situation going into walk years as UFAs. So, you know, you're going to be able to take the time and see how Bertuzzi meshes and see how that maybe impacts the decision-making with Nylander going forward. Yeah, I mean, and it seemed like there, there were some reports there that both sides were open to to long-term, but they just couldn't make it work because of the cap situation. So it was kind of like, all right, well, let's just get in here on a one-year deal and, and reassess. So the interest was at least there to do it in the, in the summer. But it does feel kind of, you know, pre like. It, what, I don't know what the right word is here, but like the Max Domi thing, it seems like he's going to sign long term afterwards. This is kind of yeah. where where it always seemed like he'd end up, and where it sounds like he's wanted to end up for a while now, and has been trying to and get, we love trying to now, get to Toronto. Of course, yeah, right? of course, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, that one kind of seems like he'll he'll get locked up um, for a few years after this. But he's a guy that I'm curious to see where he fits in because I kind of had him penciled in as, as the third center and doesn't seem to be the yeah. case. So at least maybe that's back pocketed right now because they know, you know, he has done it and has played center in the past and, you know, it, it some stops quite a bit of center and maybe it's just, Hey, let's try Nylander here and kind of exhaust this option. Make sure it, you know, either does or doesn't work and give it a fair shake and then know that we can, we can default back to Domi if, if need be, but well, there's probably a lot of the same concerns with Domi playing in the middle as there would be with Nylander playing in the middle. Right. But you already know that what Domi is there Two not, you know, the best defensive players in the world. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm curious to see where he fits in at least to start on the wing. Like there's some interesting options that they have, all of a sudden, they went from having basically no left wing depth to to uh, uh, three really good options. Yeah, four if you want to count Nick Robertson, who True. You know, by yeah. all accounts is it, coming into camp healthy. And this this move of Nylander to the middle kind of no it, one's going to be more motivated than Nick Robertson in training camp. Like he he's yeah. and, and I really root for the guy. Like I I hope he cracks the team. That's be an incredible story and more more offensive firepower. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the forward battle this year. It, it feels like a lot of recent years it's just kind of been like a formality. Like maybe there's a, a left wing spot that's open, but um, you know, I, I think that you probably pencil Robertson in as maybe the, the favorite to grab any open spot on the wing beyond Nyes, obviously, who I think we're already penciling in. But yeah, um, you know, you've also got Nick Abrazizi. You've got uh, Alex Steves, like guys who are not Bobby young, right? Like these guys are coming too, like coming. Yeah, off like injury, these guys but... are mid twenties. Like these guys want a spot. Like they're yeah. not, they're not about development anymore. Like you know, Abrazizi might just be going into like a second full pro year, but like he 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 wants to make this team. So uh, it's 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 going to be uh, some interesting battles, I think. Yeah, and I think you know, talking about the guys that you just listed off there. There's a, a little bit more depth there that you know protects them from some of the decisions that they're going to have to make coming out of camp because you look at the salary cap situation without another move coming, the Leafs are looking like they're going to have to run a 20 man roster at a camp. So there's going to be some names hitting waivers uh, coming out of Leafs camp and having guys like Abrazizi and McMahon and and whatnot kind of adds to the depth and gives you a little bit of protection should you lose anyone. Um, let's talk briefly about the the blue line here because i i think that the 
the the one deal that I'm just still struggling to kind of wrap my head around a little bit is, is John Klingberg. Like yeah. Ryan Reeves, obviously wasn't a fan of that one, but you know it, it's it's bearable. Um, and like I guess and you can understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, and I guess there's this like this change in the latest CBA that I, I wasn't even aware of before this contract was signed because I, I was like, oh no, 35 plus deal, we're fucked. But uh, I guess because it's not back diving or whatever, like they can they can just bury it, which is good because I'm guessing they'll have to. Uh, but <laughs> as far as the the blue line, like Klingberg, I, I just thought was such a clear kind of like it, it's just going back to what they try with Tyson Berry to me is yeah. the way I felt about it. Um, the one, one, I guess, kind of saving grace I see here is like maybe you give him the PP1 duties, you kind of scale Morgan Riley back a little bit. Um, you know, that's that's Klingberg's kind of chance to shine, right? Like that's that is his play style. So it, it feels like if you're going to throw this money at this guy for a one year deal, it's, it's because you want him to come in and have a significant role in the power play. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think all of us are agreement, like not our favorite signing of the offseason. But I mean, yeah, like the guy clearly can score. And if you look at him and, you know, think if you're going to get the the early Dallas version of him or, you know, even a few years ago, then sure, it's, it's probably going to work out. But he just has not looked like statistically like the worst defenseman in the league. Like it's it's a strange use of cap space is kind of how I looked at it. Yeah. When, it, when there were some other guys like – you know, in the kind of like Carson Soucy um, world where I was, you know, thinking they were going to go, especially with Tree Living and his kind of big tree defenseman that he likes to get, right? Even look at Luke Shen, right? Like, yeah, obviously the, the term was the big factor there for, you know, not having him back in Toronto. But if you're looking just purely at the cap hits, you know, having Luke Shen at 2.75 is probably a better fit and also creates more roster flexibility for the Leafs than having Klingberg at 4.1, whatever it is. And I don't, you can't feed him to the Wolves, right? It's like, he's not a guy that's going to be able to, so like, you're really, if you look at the the defenseman right now, you, you're really asking a lot from Jake McCabe and Timothy Lilligren. Like, they're yeah. going to have to do some tough fucking work this year. Um, Big year for Lilligren. Big year for Lilligren and, and McCabe's got to take that Jake Muzzin role and run with it. And, and I mean, he he looked great in flashes. He looked overtasked in the playoffs, like just like they were asking a little bit too much of him. How much of that do you think was Brody? Because I, I thought Brody yeah. struggled pr- pretty heavily in, in the postseason too. So. I just wonder how much of that you guys think was Brody as opposed to it being solely on McCabe. You, you look at you look at Brody and then you look at McCabe being asked to go and shut down two of the most offensive, you know, firepower lines in hockey, like in in, in straight series, right? So it's it's tough. I mean, he, he had the hardest assignments against against Tampa and Florida with a partner who was playing his worst hockey of his season, maybe of his career. Right. So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm willing to give him a second kind of chance. I think what we learned about McCabe is he's going to go for that big hit and be out of position quite a bit. So if you have, you got to put him with somebody who's a little bit more reliable. Um, I'm I'm curious. I think him and Lilligren could be an an interesting pair. Yeah. I'm still really excited about McCabe to be honest with you. I know like we've already got a a pretty good look at him last year, but it still was only a a short stretch where he had to kind of really integrate himself into the team and pick things up in kind of short order. And yeah, I'm a a big fan of the player and what he brings. Uh, I'm kind of expecting McCabe to have a, a, a 
pretty sizable role on this yeah. team and play some really important minutes for the team this year. But it does feel like if there's an area that is going to be added to on this team, it's it's going to be on. The oh, back we're going to be talking about yeah, we're going to be talking about defensemen all the way up to the trade deadline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Muzzin. Uh, that's some other news. I guess we should mention that that came out today. Um, not that it's you know big news. Both Muzzin and Murray expected to be. Uh, out there, there. Uh, what was it? Murray, maybe uh, surgery. Was that what I saw? Murray is heading for surgery this week, and it's uh, it was termed a significant surgery with a significant uh, recovery <laughs> and rehab process. Uh, True living, I, I believe, I said months, not days. So. I had so quickly forgotten about Matt Murray, like, and put that out <laughs> of my head. The minute they said he was going LTIR, I never. I, like I saw his name pop up today and forgot that it, it, he was ever on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like I just, he was completely out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just where he belongs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we should, we could quickly touch on goalies to kind of wrap up our little cruise through the roster here. Um, yeah, obviously you've got uh, as mentioned earlier Ilya Samsonov who. Um, you know, got done on, a, on an arbitration deal, and uh, Joseph Wall is going to be the full time backup. And I was reading through uh, some elite prospects stuff uh, the other day, and I was very excited to see. Uh, you know, they were ranking their top one hundred prospects and their top fifteen goalie prospects. They had Joseph Wall at number six, and like all the guys ahead of him were pretty significant prospects. So I was uh, I was pretty floored by that. I mean, I know that he had a good year last year. He really kind of had a nice bounce back and and put himself on the radar. But um, I, Nick, I'm 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 pretty excited. I got to say, after reading some of this this stuff over, about Joe Wall the last uh, couple of weeks, and, and I'm feeling good about it. Well, you got to remember he. he he was a pretty highly touted goaltending prospect at one time. It's taken a long time for him to get to this point in his career. He was drafted all the way back in 2016 with Austin Matthews. But, you know, goalies always take a bit longer. Uh, He's dealt with more than his fair share of injuries uh, over the last few seasons. So that will also be something to monitor uh, heading into what is expected to be his first full season in the NHL. But, I mean, you can't argue with the results, no matter how small the sample size was last year. Even with the Marlies, he was spectacular. I believe he won like 16 straight starts with the Marlies, set a franchise record for them. And every time he was called upon for the Leafs, including in the postseason against Florida, he gave them a chance to win just about every time he was in the crease. So there's a part of me that wonders, you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors with the Samsonov thing. Uh, and how he was handled this offseason. You're also talking about another guy who's dealt with injuries and doesn't have the the longest track record of success in the NHL. It was kind of last year was a career year for him. So how much do the Leafs want to bet on that happening again? But uh, there's a part of me that wonders if Joseph Wall's performance last year and the fact that they have him locked in for the foreseeable future played any any role at all in how comfortable the Leafs were with just taking Samson off to arbitration and getting that one-year award rather than trying to work out uh, um, a multi-year contract that would have came along with a, a bigger cap hit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that played a huge factor in it. And, and I mean, what all Wall has done since he's come up is is play well. Like, he hasn't really looked ever looked out of place or looked like the moment was too big for him. He's a different... Um, experience in the net than what Samsonov gives you he's so <laughs> yeah. calm and calm like just you know compact and keeps 
keeps kind of uh, his position, you know, doesn't get into those kind of swimming uh, events that happen when, when Samson, when the pucks around Samsonov and, and not knocking Samsonov, he finds a way to make it work. He had a great year, but yeah, I mean, definitely the confidence in wall just kept growing all year and it would have played a huge fact, a huge role in, in why they, uh, why they were comfortable doing that. I think it worked out perfectly in the sense that you, you know, that, you know, I, I shouldn't say it worked out perfectly, but it's set up to be, you know, let's say Samsonov has an incredible year and he becomes too expensive for the Leafs after that. That's great. You get a great year out of him, great two years out of him. He walks and he goes elsewhere and you're able to transition right into Joe Wall. Um, but if, you know, if it works out that you can sign Samsonov long term, um, you still don't necessarily have to like rush Wall into it. And if you, are happy with Samsonov, you got an excellent trade chip and wall. So I'm, it's been a while since they've kind of had these two options that you feel this two good young about. kind of exciting yeah, options. Right? Yeah. And that's what I, that's, that's a better way to put it. Cause I guess you had two options with, you know, Campbell and, and, uh, and Anderson and, and then again with, with Murray and, and, uh, and Samsonov, but like valuable assets. And I think with a team that's a little bit depleted in assets that, you know, in terms of making trades and assessing other parts of the roster and, 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 you know, having trade chips, um, it's nice to know that you've got something that the league views that valuable in wall, but also internally too, if things kind of go sideways with Samson, you've got an excellent succession plan. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's, it, it is really a, a best case scenario, right? Cause like it feels like, um, you know, this kind of would have played out whether wall was ready or not like it did because like i i think that you just have to be ready to not invest in the goaltending position unless you know yeah. you've got a guy and if you An don't absolute stud yeah yeah that's it and and so you know it's it's very nice to to know where your footstep is going before you you raise your foot uh, it, it, you know, in this case, but uh, like if, if wall wasn't ready, I feel like, you know, we'd be in a similar position. I, I don't know if they would have, uh, you know, locked in Samson off long-term or anything like that. Like, I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a great kind of stroke of luck that you have a, a, a system goalie actually kind of panning out at the right yeah. time. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that they would have gone longer term with Samsonov had wall not played as well as he did, but just that added level of comfort, you know, it, it's always a bit, uh, it's a bit worrisome heading into a, a year where you're running any player, let alone your starting goaltender to unrestricted free agency. But I, I think just with what we've seen at a wall, the, the team can be at least a little more comfortable with what they have in place. Absolutely. So we've always been a, a pretty prospect focused podcast. You know, we love the draft, love tracking young players as they develop. Uh, it's been almost three years since our first episode, October 2020. We recorded two weeks after the 2020 draft. And of course, we were excited to uh, talk about their latest prospect haul, which was headlined by first round pick Rodion Amirov, who passed away uh, last month after uh, a lengthy battle with cancer. And I mean, this is uh, it, this is just heartbreaking, guys. Like it's it's been over a month now, um, and you know, I, th- I think that we all got a chance to uh, read the interview with his father that uh, that ran uh, in a Russian publication recently that was translated and posted on Reddit, um, which was just heartbreaking and uh, just gave such a, a great insight to the kind of. 
uh, person Rodion was. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's such a loss. Um, you know, obviously hockey completely aside, um, with, with the way this kind of had been progressing, like it's, it's been a little while since I've kind of had just accepted, like, let's just be nice for this kid to have a, uh, you know, be, be able to, to, uh, go on with with a, a proper quality of life you know forget hockey like yeah was, i think we'd all yeah. accepted that a, a while ago exactly and and you know you, you just hope that um you know you hope against hope right but i mean this is a, a particularly nasty kind of cancer and um you know i mean it's just it, it's been it's been heartbreaking to kind of um you know hear all of the um, you know, all of what he had to go through that last year, but, um, yeah. uh, also just, you know, uplifting to a, to a point as well. And just, I know that we just wanted to kind of take a minute to, uh, send our well wishes to his family. You know, he, he's a guy that we've talked lots about since he was drafted. Um, you know, first of course, hopeful as, as we were for his career and, and then just hopeful for his health. And it's just, uh, such a, such a sad end to the story, Nick. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to add a, a whole lot to what you said there, Cam. I think you you really summed it up well. It's just a really heartbreaking, tragic story of a young, promising life that was snuffed out far too soon. And yeah, as as sad and tragic as it is, reading those things about Amirov and the way that he handled everything uh, <clears throat> definitely definitely a, a bit uplifting in that sense and, and definitely inspirational. And, uh, I think that was something that was important to him, you know, in, in the, in the final months of his life was continuing to try and be a positive example for, for people who are struggling with things like he was struggling with and just trying to continue to live life and have a positive attitude. And, uh, I think he, he did that right to the very end. And, uh, yeah, it's a, huge loss not only for you know the Leafs and the rest of the hockey world but more than anything his family and friends so uh yeah definitely sending our condolences and uh yeah sad story yeah I mean you 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 look at and you read the the words of his father and just the added the positive attitude and outlook that he had and even going through some of the really rough you know later stages of his life and it it it's so hard to fathom, you know, a kid of his age just to, to have that much like maturity and like strength about it. It was, it was yeah. know, incredible. And, and yeah, just tough, tough to read. And especially from the, you know, a parent's perspective and, and you know, yeah. how he, how he was speaking about his son. It was, it was, it was, you know, heartbreaking, you know, just an extremely sad story and situation. Yeah, it was it was really tough read, but uh, highly recommend if if you haven't had the chance to read that uh, interview with uh, Rodion Amirov's father that you seek it out. It's uh, really inspiring. That's the way that Rodion should be remembered, right? Yeah. Everything that his father had to say about him and the way that he carried himself and and handled everything in what was a very difficult and and dark time in his young life. Uh, yeah, that, that's the way that the the kid should be remembered. Absolutely. So uh, let's let's do what we do. Uh, talk prospects a little bit here. Um, the Traverse City Rookie Tournament uh, prospect tournament just wrapped up, 
And um, it, it, let, let's start where we got to start because we we our last episode was just before the draft. Nick, we talked a little bit about draft targets at that point. Easton Cowan was decidedly not <laughs> on anyone's list at 28th overall. That was a, a bit of a surprise when he was picked there. But uh, you've, you've liked what you've seen so far. It was definitely a surprise at the time. Uh, it wasn't someone who I had on my radar for uh, the first round by any means. Um, but, you know, everything that I've seen from the kid and read about him since has been super encouraging. And it, most of all, the way that he played in the Traverse City Prospects Tournament over the weekend, he was just a consistent force almost every time he was on the ice. The, the combination of, like, relentless puck pursuit, but also, like, really intelligent play reading and tracking, he balanced that really well. Um He's he's either getting in on the forecheck and hounding pucks and forcing turnovers, or he's peeling off at just the right time to track back into the middle of the ice and take away a, an outlet option or intercept a pass that the other team is trying to make to get out of their zone. And I was just really impressed with his ability to, to make plays like that and turn them into offense for either himself or his line mates. Um, he and Ryan Torberg in particular seemed to, to really – be causing fits for the opposition during the the prospect tournament. Uh, they were just they complement each other really well. They were both just really all over the puck and able to quickly manufacture offense out of it when they were able to force those mistakes from the opposition. So yeah, really impressed with Easton Cowan thus far. I know that, like you said, definitely not uh, the prospect that a lot of people were expecting to to hear his name called at the end of the first round there when the Leafs were on the clock. But the organization obviously fell in love with this kid uh, in the back half of last season. Uh, they, the word is that they tried to trade down, uh, but they weren't really comfortable with sliding back too far and still being able to, to land Cowan. So they just stood pat and picked the player that they wanted. And I think a big part of that is he had a, a really strong second half of last season, was spectacular for the London Knights in the playoffs. So, you know, he's definitely a player who's trending up and trending up quickly. And, yeah, he's an exciting addition to the to the organization's uh, pipeline. And a kid that, you know, just seems really mature and has his head on his shoulders, right? And he's he's just continuously working on and off the ice to, to reach his ultimate goal, which is helping the Leafs in the NHL. And, like, the, the kid weighed in at 185 pounds – heading into camp today so you, you look at where he was listed last season and he made the comment that he uh he bulked up over the summer thanks to uh, a lot of home cooking pasta <laughs> made by his mom so the kid was definitely uh, eating well over the summer and i think that that added strength and physicality kind of paid off at least in the prospects tournament and it should help him handle his first nhl preseason uh, a little bit better as well so really looking forward to that I thought that the interesting thing about the pick was the way that it kind of mirrored some other recent picks, especially yeah. where, you know, the Leafs are usually picking late in the first or, you know, in the second. And they swing on a guy who's got tools and who had a great second half of the season. That's what happened with Matthew Nyes. I think that Fraser Minton was, yeah. was to an extent like that. Yeah. And, and now Cowan. And um, based on uh, the notes that I have here in, in my document from probably watching 10 minutes of highlights uh, three months ago. I'm going to read them to you now. Um, some of the things, a couple of the other things that uh, that I thought fit the trend, 
really, really good at like one touch plays. Like he, he just seems yeah. like he always knows where he's going with the, the next play. High IQ player. And the other thing I noticed from him, really high energy, like not just in the way that he plays the game, but he has that like Ovechkin type joy every time he scores. He, he, yeah. he just he whether it's himself or his teammate, he like he loves scoring and he he just like it's you don't always see that you know it's especially guys who you know are, are top prospects and they're used to putting the puck in the net or whatever like this, this guy just seems to love the game um so that that was my great takeaway uh it's nice to see the Leafs kind of dipping into that Ontario pipeline a little bit with some of their higher draft selection you know we've seen over the years to taking guys in the fourth or fifth round out of the OHL or whatever but you know for them to to dip into one of the most storied, prolific franchises in the Canadian Hockey League in the London Knights, you know that that's a strong development system. It's probably something that the team should have been tapping into more frequently before this. But you've got a hometown kid who's thrilled to be a part of the Leafs organization who already has that inherent drive and motivation and just pure joy for the game like you're talking about. It's a, it's a really exciting addition to the club. Yeah, the thing I took away from the that pick, if I'm remembering back to the draft, um, was it there's like the you know the the analysts and the scouts. It seemed to be a wow, that was a surprising pick. But then immediately, like oh, but holy shit, you, Toronto's gonna love this guy. Like just in terms of the way, like yeah. the the kind of motor that he has and the the just give a shit attitude that he has and just kind of the hardest working guy on the ice and you know toronto loves it's you know not not trying to like pen him as like a blue collar grinder or anything he's got a ton of skill but just that kind of like constant motor um seemed to be the thing that that stood out in terms of the the scouting reports that i read on him any other uh standouts from the prospect tournament for you nick uh, i thought fraser minton played really well his game's a little more understated uh than that of cowan or even a, a guy like torberg who are just kind of i don't want to say that they're uh, 100 miles an hour constantly because like i said cowan did show that ability to kind of to just process things really well and slow up when he had to slow up and peel off and be in the right spot and what have you but i think fraser minton is even more understated in, in that sense where he just he sees the ice really well. He's a really responsible player. He just looked like one of the more mature, kind of advanced prospects uh, on the ice during the uh, during the Traverse City tournament. I mean, it, it probably didn't hurt that he was playing alongside Matthew Nyes, who was <laughs> looked like a literal giant uh, against a lot of these uh, younger prospects. But yeah, Fraser Minton was a guy who stood out. And uh, I also thought Topi Nimala showcased a, a lot of what makes him an intriguing prospect, just in his ability to be like a, a proactive defender rather than kind of just waiting for things to come to him. He, he attacks uh, ahead of time and just kind of cuts out options before the other team can even take advantage of them. And I, I thought he did a good job of that throughout the tournament. And I think... You know, in terms of guys who are going to push for a spot on this team or even spot duty for the Leafs at any point this year, I don't know that there's really anyone from the, the Traverse City tournament aside from Matt Nyes who you could look at in that regard. But when you look at the blue line that the, the Leafs are rolling out there this year and even the guys that they have as far as depth, you know, you're looking at Simone Benoit, uh, William Lagason, Max Lajoie. There's no real surefire 
uh, help there, I guess. So I, I think Topi Nemo is a guy I'm really looking forward to seeing how he handles his first full season in North America. He was very, very, very good for the Marlies down the stretch last year when he joined the, the club late in the season quickly stepped into a really prominent role on their team. And I think that that's going to be the case to start this season. And if he's able to, to really show well down there and injuries arise on the Leafs blue line, I would not be surprised if Nimala is a guy who, who gets a shot to as an injury fill in. And, you know, you kind of go from there if he's able to handle the rigors of the NHL and it still be a productive player and, and handle defending against, you know, uh, some more highly skilled forwards than what he's used to seeing. That, that, that's a guy who could maybe creep into the conversation at some point during this season. And I mean, he, he's got a, a wealth of pro experience from playing over in Finland over the last few years. Obviously, a, a different story stepping into the American League and then into the NHL. But uh, I, I think he's a, a prospect who has continued to trend in the right direction. Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, these guys in the big camp. Uh, Niemelia, too, especially, like you said, uh, Hey, right shot. Well, D. there's not a lot coming on the blue line, right? Yeah. It's, it's basically Niemela and that's that's it. I mean, depending on how you feel about a guy like Mikey Kester, who's heading into his final year at the University of Minnesota without Matthew Nyes this time around. But he's a guy who's continued to, to trend up as well. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he earns an entry-level deal with the Leafs at the end of this season. But really beyond Niemela and uh, perhaps William Villeneuve uh, a little bit further down the road, there's not a lot coming on the blue line for the Leafs right now. Yeah. Hey, you guys want to remember a Leaf? I forgot <laughs> about remembering a Leaf. Let's, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. We forgot to remember. We forgot, I forgot about, about remembering. Um, I did not forget. <laughs> uh, but just, uh, I'll, I'll tell you who we're remembering first. You guys remember Tim Connolly? <laughs> Do I? Oh, man. Phil Kessel's <laughs> final. We finally got a center for Phil Kessel. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got one. <laughs> my my long standing or like prevailing memory uh, of Tim Connolly is uh, back in the day around that time I was uh, a frequent uh, user of the official Maple Leafs message boards, uh, yes. you know, b- before the Twitter days and all that. Um, and Tim Connolly had uh, we had perhaps not so affectionately started referring to him as the guy with bone itis. Yeah. Because he was yes. just always fucking hurt, and uh, that was right. pretty much the story of his Leafs career. That was, was he uh, the first Bonitis guy. He was, I think, on Pension Plan Puppets. He he got that title. I might was, but was that might not have been him. But I remember that being used for somebody else. If anybody well, listens, Connelly's was the an, first guy that I remember. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> that was that was a rough what go for, for Timmy. For I think he played pretty much an entire seventy season, games, didn't he? Yeah, he played seventy games. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought he was injured for more of that one campaign, 2011-2012. Uh, 23 assists for the number one center for Phil Kessel <laughs> in his career. Uh, and and the reason that I came up with Phil, Tim Connolly <laughs> just to, to properly date this episode is um, the general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves. His name is Tim Connolly. And I think that they must have done something in June or July that I was just like, ah. Tim Connolly. Remember that guy? <laughs> and so I jotted it down. So this is a three-month-old uh, Remember Leaf. And I, I don't think I've generated a whole lot more since, so i got to start thinking. But uh, 
Tim Connolly. Oh, we'll get back into the swing of things here. We're all a little bit rusty. It's a, a long summer off. We haven't done this in a while, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to remembering all kinds of Leafs. I just looked at that yeah. roster and I just had a flash. David Steckel <laughs> was on that team. Do you remember when he won a bunch of faceoffs and then Hockey Night in Canada broke down the way that he went won faceoffs and they had them they had them like out in front of the desks like demonstrating it was that was this what, is why that, fans that of other teams we hate us exactly but that. <laughs> But it was also the only thing that was like positive about the team was like, hey, this guy's got like a a sixty percent faceoff uh, percentage. Like, <laughs> this is let's cling to the only positive we have on this team. <laughs> I believe my hot take at the time was that he should be centering Kessel. So, that's, yeah, that's where I was. Yeah. Um, Dark days, poor Phil. <laughs> So we are uh, just about off and running here, fellas. Uh, training camp's underway. We're going to have lots more to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Excited to do some, uh, you know, do some shooting the shit on the lineup as as we always do. Yeah, we'll be getting into things a lot deeper as we go on here. I, I will say, um, as lineup news goes, uh, even more exciting than NHL training camps and the Leafs was the pwhl draft oh, yeah. this week that i was into oh, i yeah. gotta say um so it's like every sports nerd's dream right it's like building a team from scratch like how many of us have done fantasy drafts in a video game or, or what have yeah, you yeah. Like, like absolutely it, it, um so the situation here last time we recorded uh the phf and the pwhpa were both still things uh the group that owned the pwhpa bought out the phf and thus the pwhl was born um six teams toronto montreal ottawa boston new york minnesota three initial signings apiece and then the draft this week and as you're hearing this free agency will be open and teams will really be uh uh, rounding out their rosters uh really fun draft and yeah. i gotta say like as a sports fan over the years i'm i'm less about the laundry and more about the people wearing it which is good since uh, i guess the laundry is like all going to be basically the same uh, i don't really know what's going on with the individual team branding there but uh, all this to say I, i'm not necessarily you know committed to rooting for the toronto team coming hey, into hey, it just hey, because hey, i'm hey. a leafs fan right and after watching these teams come together over the last couple of weeks i'm so happy to announce that i'm staying right here on the fucking <laughs> toronto hockey bandwagon baby let's go Blair Turnbull, Coach Troy Ryan, Yarmouth Native Alley Monroe on the blue line. This is Team Nova Scotia, boys. Hell yeah. I'm pumped to, to see this team on the ice. No, they've got an impressive looking squad. It seems like they kind of took, I think you mentioned this on Twitter cam, they're going title hunting right off the bat, yeah, right? They're the, in it, win now mode. Yeah, I mean, use your second overall pick on a on a thirty five year old, and you're you're pretty clearly headed one direction. So yeah, and it, again, like nothing at all uh, against uh, Jocelyn Larocque. She's had a spectacular career. Fantastic player has represented Canada extremely well on the international stage for a number of years. But when you're you know you're building a team from scratch uh, and from the ground up and you know your first selection in the inaugural draft is a 35 year old player it, it is a little bit disappointing but it, there's no denying how important she's going to be to to what the toronto team is able to do in their first couple of seasons she's you know going to form one of the best defensive pairings in the league with renata faust so a really exciting squad uh, starting off i'm definitely looking forward to that league getting going and, and you know, finally having a unified, truly professional league for all these high caliber athletes to play in. Yeah, same here, man. Like I, I love that finally it's 
best on best and you don't have this splinter into two league thing going on and just selfishly for even you know at my house like my daughter's starting to get more into hockey now too so being able to watch this with her now i took her to a couple of unb women's games last year and she was just fell in love with it so i'm excited to have this on the tv as well and and have like the the best possible product to watch it's going to be really exciting well i was actually like watching the 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 draft took place on monday it was in the afternoon right so my kids got off the school bus at some point while the draft was running and my oldest daughter comes in and she's asking what I'm watching and I'm just in the process of trying to explain the event to her and kind of just a a, a broad view of, of what it meant. It, it was hard not to get a little choked up just kind of talking to my daughter about it as a, another young girl who's starting to get into hockey. And I think she's actually going to get on the ice and, and play hockey for the first Hell time yeah. this year. So That's awesome. it, it, it was just, it was a really exciting thing to watch and just really exciting to think about what it means for the women's game uh, in the yeah. future. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been fun watching these, uh, these rosters come together and uh, it's finally here. It's, it's been a long time coming, man. So uh, uh, really excited for the, the puck to drop in the new year. And uh, and for the Leafs, uh, we will be back within three months. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll try to come and talk to the fine uh, listeners of Lamenting the Leafs a little more frequently now that we're coming up on the season. And again, this was kind of just uh, getting our feet wet, getting back into things here. But we'll uh, have a lot more in depth and uh, you know, borderline insane discussions on this team moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate everybody's patience with us this summer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though, I think a lot of people were kind of burned out on the on the Leafs this I summer. I, even without... I didn't want to listen to anything about the Leafs. I sure shit yeah. didn't, want to, didn't want to talk about the Leafs. So <laughs> yeah, I'm ready though. I'm back, man. All it took was yeah, one yeah the juices little, are flowing now. All it took was one little bit of training camp news to to reel me completely back in. Oh yeah, I I, I felt like the uh, I felt like John Snow in that clip uh, from the Battle of the Bastards <laughs> where all the horses are coming at him and looking at the TS sn.ca page today and just it's just training camp news training camp news every single canadian team all the yeah. other teams <laughs> fucking just constant headlines i'm like this is it we are upon it so I, yeah. i'm looking forward to this season fellas i am ready to get hurt again go leafs go <laughs>